really got to try on that left-hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty had over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit of meat this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome once again to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the weekly show that brings you news, reviews, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby. I'm your host, David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan who follows the game wherever I can find it all over the globe. If you'd like to get in touch, well, I would love to hear from you. I'm on Twitter at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just drop me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. So, there was some great rugby on display this weekend, so why don't we just get this show rolling? So, starting as always with our current updates, you know, it, it's the final few weeks of the school year here, which means my kid and my partner are both getting ready for a bit of a break. To be fair, it's a break for my son and almost the opposite for my partner, as that means that she'll have him, you know, attached to her hip for like 10 straight weeks. But we do have a plan to send him to a, a day camp for a couple of weeks before he does one week of this cool looking uh, coding camp thing we found. Um, I obviously haven't done that myself, but it, it does seem like the nerdy kind of thing that I definitely would have loved when I was his age. Um, we're also trying to find him a martial arts studio, but ha haven't gotten that sorted out yet. There are a ton of Taekwondo places in our area, but I had a bit of a bad, bad experience with Taekwondo when I was a kid, so I'm a little resistant what I would like is a legit kung fu studio, but so far we haven't found any. Um, I'm probably massively overthinking it, but I, I'm honestly looking for some suggestions. So if you have thoughts on this, do me a favor and get in touch. I spent a long time taking what they called karate, but was really a, a hybrid of kung fu, karate, a bit of judo, and, and a couple other styles as well. Incredibly, that franchise is not only just around, uh, still around, they're actually within walking distance of where we live now, but the people involved, they were... They were a bit on the scummy side. Um, I don't I don't think I want him to have the same experience I did. Anyway, the most important thing is keeping him active. So again, any thoughts y'all might have, definitely pass them along. I'm always keen to hear. Yes, Isa, it's definitely good news this time as we have finally hit the 100-day countdown to the Rugby World Cup. Quote, celebrations are taking place throughout France to mark the 100-day countdown to start... Uh, to the start of Rugby World Cup 2023, set to be the most popular edition in the tournament's history. With a little under three months to go until the best players on the planet arrive in France, final preparations are underway this Wednesday for rugby's 200th birthday, which promises to showcase the sport's power to bring people and communities together. Not all communities, obviously. The Webb Ellis Cup arrived in Paris on Tuesday evening with bespoke Rugby World Cup 2023 livery and will pass from world champions South Africa to hosts France, a symbol that the countdown is truly underway. Attention has since turned to activities across the 10 host cities that will culminate in a spectacular light show set to transform the Arc de Triomphe in Paris. Meanwhile, the tournament medals will be unveiled on Wednesday morning. They are cast entirely from recycled mobile phones donated by fans and community rugby clubs, reflecting the unique connection which will be enjoyed by players and fans in France and the tournament. They also reflect rugby's commitment towards future environmental sustainability. Tournament organizers have also revealed new public survey results that point to the most popular and impactful Rugby World Cup ever as rugby fever takes hold. Some numbers for you. 
90% of the French population support the nation's hosting of Rugby World Cup, with 76% set to join the celebrations either in Stadia, in host city fan villages, or via media and broadcast. More than 600,000 international visitors are expected to join the celebrations in France, a record for a Rugby World Cup. Tickets sold in record time with all available tickets sold a year out. And France 2023 is on... Uh, it says on set, I assume it means on pace or on par to break the Rugby World Cup 2015 attendance record. 72% of ticket holders will attend with family and 45% with friends, underscoring the celebration of togetherness. Ugh. Meanwhile, Rugby World Cup 2023's host cities have started unveiling exciting rugby villages, celebration areas in the heart of each city where fans from France and around the world can experience Rugby World Cup 2023 together, hosting up to 40,000 people. The rugby villages will be open to all with free admission, offering a unique program of activities, including live coverage of Rugby World Cup 2023 matches, live live music food and beverage i thought i said live food for a second it's like ah uh rugby activities cultural events and children's zones hosts will announce their complete schedules in the coming weeks rugby world cup 2023 aims to be a positive impact competition setting new standards in social responsibility inclusion wink and sustainable development for major international events beyond pledges French, uh, France 2023 has delivered tangible projects, including the Apprentice Program Campus 2023, its official charity, Rugby Au Coeur, of the, and the, fifth, uh, the 15 of Gastronomy, who will design menus based on seasonal local products. Rugby, uh, World Rugby Chairman Bill Beaumont said, with 100 days to go, we are confident that Rugby World Cup 2023 is excellently placed to be the greatest celebration of rugby and togetherness, a fitting way to mark 200 years of rugby across the 10 host cities and around the world. Excitement is at a fever pitch from ticket sales to international visitors. Records are tumbling and there is a genuine air of expectation as to which nation will ultimately lift the biggest prize in men's rugby, the Webb Ellis Cup. I can't wait, unquote. France 2023 chairman Jacques uh, Rivio. Uh, Rivoire added, in a hundred days, it will finally be in a uh, hundred days. It will, uh, I say, finally be uh, the time. Sorry about that. Uh, starting from the opening match between France and New Zealand, this Rugby World Cup 2023 promises incredible excitement shared by French and international fans across our country and its regions. Driven by a, so a strong social mission, wink, this competition is set to be a nationwide celebration, unquote. Underpinning what promises to be a compelling and competitive tournament, organizers have left no stone unturned in ensuring an environment for the 20 teams to perform their best. South Africa head coach Jacques Ninabar added, The last four years have passed by at a rapid pace, and it's almost surreal that we are 100 days out from Rugby World Cup 2023 in France. Well... The way the pools, <laughs> in case you've looked, uh, the way the pools are populated this time is inarguably wonky, but I, I just have decided to put my head firmly in the sand about that at this stage. I couldn't be more excited. I'm sticking with my home win prediction for France, mostly because I've said it way too many times to pretend otherwise at this point, but truth be told, I'm just, I'm not feeling too sure about it right now. And moving on to our thoughts of the week, my thoughts this week are on a couple of very high-profile retirements in this past week, a couple of players I will genuinely miss. So quoting here, quote, Toulon said goodbye to two modern greats yesterday as Sergio Parisse and Mathieu Bestereau 
both played the final match of their careers in front of the Stade Mayol. Is that how you say that? I think so. A week after the pair won the Challenge Cup in Dublin, with Bastereau lifting the trophy, they played their final match in front of a home crowd in what was the final match of the top 14 season. Though the Italian and Frenchmen did play alongside each other at Stade Francais in what now seems like another life, very few would have expected that they would both be playing their final match of their careers in the same Toulon team, and even fewer would have predicted that they would both be in the same back row. However, the 39-year-old Parise started at his usual number 8 in the 35-19 to victory over the Bordeaux bag with the 34-year-old Bastero at blindside uh, flanker. It was quite an eventful night for the newly fashioned flanker as well as he was yellow carded and, and scored a try before being substituted on 56 minutes to a standing ovation. The 142 cap Italy legend received the same treatment five minutes later when he left the field as well. Despite being in a quite commanding position in the top 14 just a matter of weeks ago, a string of three consecutive losses in a row before... You don't have to say in a row after consecutive. Uh, before yesterday's match meant Toulon slipped out of the playoff places, meaning Parise and Bastolo were both deprived of what would have been truly a fairy tale end to their careers if Toulon were able to progress to the top 14 final. Nevertheless, a challenge cup and a standing ovation from the crowd, not a bad way to bow out either, with the duo even receiving a guard of honor on the pitch from their teammates after the match, unquote. You know, ha happy trails to both those guys. They've had truly remarkable careers. I understand Bastolo is going into coaching with kids, I think they said. And uh, if any of you know what Parise's next plans are, you know, please let me know. As always, I'm intensely curious. Okay, that, of course, brings us to our reviews for the weekend. And incredibly, we've gone from five competitions to three just since last week. We've got the top 14 playoffs, the final round of Super Rugby Pacific, and round 16 in the MLR. The top 14 is closest to its end, so we'll start with that, which means we begin this week with Saturday's fixture, Stade Francais hosting Racing 92. It, it was a spectacular day in the Parisian sunshine, with Johnny Beatty's describing the sun as pounding down, and it took the hosts only five minutes to make a colossal blunder, a terrible, just a really unnecessary, no arms, clear out that smashed Finn Russell in the head. Marcus Crema was off with a red card. The comms pointed out how difficult it would be for them to be down a player for 75 minutes in that heat. And I was worried about Finn, but he did re return after an HIA. Rassing quickly took advantage with an I want it more than you try in the corner, and the hill Stad had to climb had gotten even steeper. After 20 minutes, the visitors held a 3-14 to advantage, but close to the half, it was Seku Makalau uh, powering one in for the home side, and soon after, Kamishat got pinged with a yellow card for some cynical work in the breakdown, and we had a game on our hands. Rassing suddenly forgot how to play defense legally, and more than two minutes into the red, they got another yellow for repeated infringements. Suddenly, the tables had been turned completely at the 46-minute mark. It was a penalty try for Stad, leveling the score at 17, but no third yellow for whatever reason. I feel like I will never in this lifetime fully comprehend that rule. In the second half, Finn's head knock seemed to have no lingering effects as he slotted two pens with his usual ease. And back to their player advantage early in the period, they appeared to be gaining ascendancy. Another penalty kick and a yellow against Stad made it 17-26 to 26 after 55 minutes. The air of certainty seemed to waft into the stadium. With a quarter hour left for one of these teams, Johnny Beatty said, 
It's incredible how quickly these things can turn around. As Stad took advantage of a couple penalties to drill it deep into Rassing territory, the Pink Army on their feet throughout the stands. By the way, in my notes, I actually wrote on their feets, which would have probably been funnier. Anyway, side note, did anyone else notice one of the main cameras had a little schmutz right in the, the upper left corner. Like I must have futilely wiped my own screen like five times by this point. I, I can't believe none of the producers noticed it. Oh, secondary side note. Did you see San Francisco's coach was actually being played by Scott Bakula? Anywho, a second, he slotted a penalty to make it a single score affair as we entered the final 10 minutes. What a start to these playoffs. Oh my gosh. Down just six. It was Stad driving with an air of inevitability, but Rassing, they forced yet another turnover, and the comms queried, could that have been the moment? Unquote. You could tell how much the heat was taking its toll as more than a couple of times players who had been subbed out per the usual rotation were brought back in to replace the replacements. And I mean, I was on the edge of my seat. A crazy final minute as a bit of a bit of a controversial turnover saw Rassing pounce and score an opportunistic try to ice this one. Stad players devastated. It was an away win. 20 to 33 to send Rassing 92 to the semifinals next weekend. I was exhausted. What a freaking game and start to the weekend. On Sunday, we had Lyon. They were hosting my Border Beagles, my newest adopted team. And I was <laughs> I was sweating and sincerely worried before things even got started. Everything in the lead up seemed to point towards the home team. But in fairness, Bordeaux Begle, they struck for, first and early. And then, for some reason beyond comprehension, Mathieu Jalivert, he suddenly became a bad kicker. He doinked one off the posts that they managed to regather. And then when the ensuing drive was shut down, he had another shot and completely missed it. It was like a parallel universe of some sort. Limo Sapuanga's name came up quite a bit, mostly because he was playing fly half for Lyon. And I had no idea he was there. It was kind of surreal. Either way, though, he, he led his team to a 17-8 lead at the break. All season, my adopted team, Bordeaux Beg, they've been unpredictable. And today... They seemed to be in trouble, but they were within striking distance. A ghostly try by my guys somehow, somehow just didn't get looked at. And I'm okay admitting it definitely wasn't a try, but we needed it. And the difficult conversion went through to make it 17 to 15. And it was as if the realization of being robbed spread throughout the grounds, the crowd quite correctly voicing their disapproval quite loudly. At the three-quarter mark, Bordeaux, they were down five. It was a yellow to the home team's Felix Lambie. And Johnny Beatty said, that could be absolutely crucial. And I was thinking the same thing. However, the comms were a little slow in the uptake because it was actually a double yellow one to each side. And this one had officially gotten spicy at 63 minutes. It was another yellow against Bordeaux. But when Tuasova came off for an injury, the comms seemed to believe that would be a game changer. And then, oh my word, Madosh Tombwe. I mean, he, he took it on himself to destroy like four Lyon defenders to smash one down, leveling the score. Gelabert gave them a two-point lead with the extras. Just incredible. With five minutes remaining, the teams were level at 25. What a contest. And then, oh my gosh, again, it was Tombwe getting himself a brace and pushing my Bordeaux Begla back ahead with only 90 seconds to go. And the comms shrieked, are we about to see two away victories this weekend? And the answer was yes. 
Oh, yes, indeed. Leon had a nice opportunity there at the death, but with a knock on by the home side, the double whistle sounded. It was an incredible 25 to 32 win for my Bordeaux Begla, making it two away wins in a row for the weekend. Seemingly unheard of in this competition, but my guys, they were through setting up the true semifinals next weekend. What a game. What a weekend in the top 14. Okay. Moving down to Super Rugby Pacific, there was actually a lot on the line for this year's final regular season round. By the way, I need to start with a, a bit of a side note here. So there's a bit of a controversy over the playoff format in this competition. So there's 12 teams, right? Eight of them, a full two-thirds, qualify for the playoffs. On one hand, this kind of immediately seems counter to the whole point of qualifying for a playoff series. On the other hand, if that number was six or four, then maybe final, like maybe two, maybe even three rounds could have been inconsequential. On the other hand, as they pointed out on the Aotearoa Rugby Podcast recently, in this current format, the bottom teams have really only effectively bought themselves a date with a butt whooping. And, you know, the playoff results, particularly in the first week, are are painfully predictable. It seems to me they might be better off emulating the format in the top 14 and right here in the MLR, where the top two teams get a bye while the third through sixth ranked teams fight it out for the right to play the top two the following week. As I think about it, I, I suddenly realize I just said that New Zealand needs to learn a lesson from the United States when it comes to rugby. So, I mean, I assume the world's about to come to an end, and this might be our last episode ever. Anyway, we did have a full slate to close out the season, starting with two Friday fixtures and the other four to come on Saturday, kicking things off. It was Blues versus my Highlanders. Signs were all pointed in the wrong direction for my visiting side, who had gone ugh, two years without a win against another New Zealand club. Incredible to think about. The Gordon Hunter Memorial Trophy was on the line for this one, and the Highlanders fairly quickly fell behind, getting just two penalty kicks in the first half, trailing 16-6 to at the break. Already by that point, they'd made 90-plus tackles and missed close to 20 more, and it, it looked like a grim ending to the season was in store for us. Uh, the Landers' defense, though, was in good form, at least. Um, they held the Blues scoreless in the entirety of the second half, but never managed to try of their own. In the end, it was a tough 16-9 victory for the home side. My Highlanders' playoff fate fell into the hands of other teams. The other match on Friday was the Brumbies versus the Rebels. The Brumbies actually fell behind early, but then ripped off three unanswered tries to right the ship. The home team's struggles with retaining their own lineouts really continued in this one, but didn't make a huge difference in the end. They pulled away pretty thoroughly in the second 40. Five tries, including another blinder from Corey Toole, and they just, just, just about doubled up their guests, sending them to an embarrassing 11th place finish on the year. Ouch. Winning 33-17, to another very difficult season for the Rebels. On Saturday, things ooh, got started with the Andrua back in Suva to take on the Reds. And this was the Reds' first ever trip to Suva, and it looked like it. It was a big deal. The Drua looking to make their own history with a second win on the bounce. Coming into the match, they were 4-1 and one at home, an incredible record. And this was their chance to make it to the postseason. The Reds had obviously lost two in a row, including last week against my Highlanders, where they dropped it at the very, very last minute. This one. It was phenomenal from the get-go. The usual sunny conditions we've seen replaced by intermittent rain, adding a layer of uncertainty to every high kick and every offload. But 
It was as close as it gets. The teams nodded at 17 at the break, and the absolute din, the level of noise in that stadium, it's so great every single time. The home team were up by three when the Reds got a yellow card for multiple infringements, and as the sky turned from a pinkish gray to, sa- to shades of indigo and violet, they managed to capitalize, powering one through to make it 27-all, and you could see the frustration on the faces of the Reds players as the stadium continued to just erupt, the comms queried, are these the best fans in world rugby? And the answer was obviously yes. I mean, it must be borderline overwhelming to be on hand. It's just unbelievable. Anyway, a botched lineout to the backdrop of an increasingly angry sky saw the Indrua take advantage and take a 34 to 17 lead as we enter the final quarter of play the comms shouted accurately it's deafening in suva so freaking good i love super rugby quote it's been an 80 minute performance by the drua today unquote they said and the implication obviously being they don't usually last a full game and i get that but they were in they were in form tonight just their second year it was the fiji and drua Securing their spot in the playoffs, a massive 41 to 17 win. This, of course, spelled the end of the line for my Highlanders, probably for the best. So, next up, it was Hurricanes hosting the Crusaders in Wellington. It was a classic. Of course, you know, it's, it's worth noting there were no playoff implications involved with this one. That might have swayed the outcome a bit, but uh, unclear, really. But Hurricanes. They looked as if they had found a new level after trailing 8-19 to at the half. With a quarter hour remaining, they had made it 15-19 to and looked really strong as they were driving. Kane's fullback, Josh Morby, he slid one in to take their first lead of the night in the Crusaders. Hadn't found their way to a single point in the second half. Quote, it's been a bizarre second half, unquote, observed the comms moments before the home team broke away for another try in the right-hand corner. Suddenly, it was an eight-point lead with just under five minutes left, a very strange performance by the Crusaders. A silly offload to nobody in particular gave Crusaders possession, but with an eight-point differential and under a minute to play, Hurricanes, they had this one sewn up. They seemed perfectly happy to just kind of watch a final try by their guests. Their only points in the second half, in fact, knowing the result was already in the books. It was 27-26, to 26, the final score in favor of the erratic Hurricanes. Then... We had the Waratahs at home from Moana Pacifica. I still can't decide. You know, half the time when you listen to Super Rugby podcasts, they say Moana Pacifica, and half and the other half of the time they say Moana Pacifica. I I just don't know what to do with that. I, I, I apologize for constantly fluctuating. It must be annoying, but it's annoying to me too. So just say so you no. Know. Anyway, this was the visitors' very last chance to get a win this year. They did a fantastic tribute to Michael Hooper who, after 171 Super Rugby matches, has decided to move on after this year, though his plans are still unclear. I've heard everything from a stint in Japan to trying to get into the Aussie Sevens, but either way, an absolute all-timer, an incredible legacy he leaves in his wake. you got to love that guy. Wartas, they struck first, but after the first quarter of play, Moana Pacifica, they were up 7-14 to and seemed to have found the big mo. The next score also belonged to them, and I was seriously hoping to see them get a win this year. I mean, the Taz are, are very likable and have confounded expectations this year, but come on, you don't want to see a team end on a goose egg, right? Especially one in this much turmoil. So, through the third quarter, only Moana Pacifica uh, found points. It was 14-28, to headed into the home stretch for them this season. It was confusing. 
like had the Taz quit, would they send Hooper into retirement or wherever he's going next with a, a you know, frankly embarrassing loss? Right on cue, the comms said, quote, they have simply got to find a way to send Michael Hooper off with a win, unquote. And then once again, it was Miracle Failagi, the man with the story. More on that uh, in the next pod, actually. Uh, his second on the night this time, seeming to put this one to bed. Quote, the body language of the Waratahs is telling a story right now, unquote, said the comms mercilessly. But they were right. And by the end, we finally got a win for the neglected team that had had a total of one actual home game in two years of competition. The Waratahs did get a try to make it a 14-point game, but with six and a half minutes to go, Moana Pacifica, they had their first win of the year in the books. The New South Wales side had no answers. They had nothing for a solid 40 minutes. It was a frightening, terrible way to end a season. And to tip the hat once again, it was Michael Cooper. Michael Cooper, I said, Michael Hooper, not getting frustrated with the sea of incompetence around him, but instead choosing the teaching moment, patiently explaining what had just gone wrong to his younger teammates while blood is pouring down his face, by the way. Again, then it was him getting the, at least we tried, try his 32nd for his Super Rugby career, an unreal effort on his part, as always, taking his team, albeit in defeat, to a respectable 24-33 loss. And I would love to say, and you could see the emotion on his face, but this is Michael Hooper, and that would have been a lie. Hard not to love a player like that. Oh, my gosh. So finally, to close out our regular season this year, we finished with the Western Force versus the Chiefs. I'd been wondering all week if the Chiefs would send a massively weakened side for the long trip to Perth when winning or losing really meant nothing to their postseason plans. And sure enough, the comps described the visiting side as, quote, very, very young, unquote. The Chiefs quickly took the lead, much as you'd expect, and it seemed unlikely because they were just not looking good when the Force grabbed a try of their own, but it was 7-29 to at the half. They managed a beauty of a try late on, but the Chiefs, they were so far ahead, it just simply didn't matter. 19-43 to was the bulging total. Man, oh man, did the Chiefs just become Super Rugby Leinster? And... Will they pull a Leinster in the playoffs? Okay, bizarre side note. At the end of this game, in the stadium, if none of you saw this, there's no way on earth you would guess this. What were they playing over the PA system? Born in the USA. And people were sticking around, hanging around in the stands, singing their hearts out. It was completely surreal. Right, so as we know, that was that in terms of the regular season. The eight-team playoffs begin next weekend. It's been the year of the Chiefs, who went 13-1, and with Crusaders, Blues, and Brumbies all knotted at 10 wins. The Canes and the Taz got 5th and 6th places, with the Andrua grabbing the 7th position and the Reds finishing out the top 8. My Highlanders, they dropped to ninth by just by virtue of points differential between them and the Reds, with the Forest Rebels and Moana Pacifica filling out the bottom end of the table. That, of course, brings us all the way home to Major League Rugby, where we began round 16, where on Friday we had my beloved Free Jacks on the road to Atlanta. Once again, it was another convincing win for my boys. Quoting here from the official match report, quote, New England, which had already clinched first place in the Eastern Conference and a spot in the East Final last week, improved to 12-2 and on the season with the win. The Free Jacks also maintained their perfect record against conference opponents, 10-0. Atlanta, 
which is trying, uh, which is fighting for one of the East's last two final playoff spots, fell to five, eight, and one. Fullback Reese McDonald, man, he's been good this year. He was the player of the match for New England, scoring one try, assisting on another, and preventing two by rugby ATL with aggressive defense. Unquote. Um, my my boys are looking really, really good right now. But as a diehard, even I am prepared for them to drop one in Seattle this coming weekend. I'm not predicting that. I'm just saying I'm emotionally ready for that to happen. Uh, and of course, back at home in the final weekend to meet Houston, that's going to be no joke as well. Either way, I mean, I love this team with all my little tiny heart. And as we speak, I'm, I'm staring longingly at my Eastern Conference final tickets. What a year. What a franchise. What a great bunch of lads and what an incredible organization they're the best thank you free jacks you rule on saturday we had nola back at the gold mine to take on dc it was another disappointing loss for the gold at home with old gory almost doubling them up it was 15 to 28 next it was toronto i assume you know hoping for another draw this time against houston and while they did manage to score 26 points wasn't nearly good enough for the Thundercats, who won on the road 26 to 48. They're looking good. It's a little bit scary. Finally, for the Saturday, we had the uh, we had Chicago hosting powerhouse San Diego, and that was it. The Free Jacks record of most consecutive wins set last year has been broken by the Legion as they grabbed the Second City Pups and rubbed their noses in in a bit. Uh, it was 14 to 36, and to finish up the round. We had two games on Sunday. The first was the New York Dolly Grips versus Dallas. I was 100% backing the Jackals for this one. Turned out I was fooling myself with that because New York, they had one of their most convincing wins of the year. God, I hope they're not peaking at the exact right time again this year. This one going their way to the tune of 43-14. to And finally, it was a pretty serious clash. The Seattle Seawolves at home for the Utah Warriors. It was a great one. Only one converted try separating the two sides, but the Seawolves pulled it out in the end. It was 27-20 to 20 at the Starfire. So, after round 16, looking at the table, we've got San Diego, Seattle, and Houston for the top three in the West, though there's still a theoretical shot that Utah could overtake the Thundercats. In the East, my Free Jacks are still well on top. 20 full points clear of D.C. at number two with freaking New York just one point behind. Well, by that music, you'll of course know it is time, once again, for this week's Diamond in the Ruck Award, and this week, the award goes to Tomosi Tavatavanawai, Mr. Tavatavanawai, your uh, 84 meters and two tries were a big part of the reason your team finally got their first win of the year, spoiling Michael Hooper's final home game in New South Wales. You were everywhere out of the pitch this weekend and seemed to inspire your teammates through your grit, your determination, and destructive, relentless carrying all night. Tomosi Tavatavanawai, congratulations to you, for you are this week's Diamond in the Ruck award winner. Well done, sir.
Well, that of course brings us to our updates and previews. Don't look now, but we are quickly running out of rugby. Next weekend, it's going to be the penultimate round in Major League Rugby, the quarterfinals in Super Rugby Pacific, and the semifinals in the top 14. That means on Friday here in North America, we'll have the Houston Thundercats, who seem like they're always at home, facing Old Gory DC. Then on Saturday, we'll have Dallas home for NOLA. Atlanta will host the New York theatrical fight choreographers, and Utah welcome the Second City Puppies to Zions Bank Stadium. Sunday has a double offering for us with the Cover Your Eyes Toronto Arrows looking to put in a good showing against the rampaging San Diego Legion. And finally, my beloved Free Jacks have a tough matchup in Seattle against the Seawolves. Quick sympathy shout out to James Dealey, MLR stats guru and friend of the pod, and me, frankly, whose two teams couldn't have had it any worse this year in major league rugby as a toronto resident he supports the arrows of course the woeful arrows but being a transplant from england he of course also has his premiership favorite anyone want to guess who he supported yeah yeah london irish and i i actually just said supported and i put them in the past tense that is rough london irish who were suspended just hours before recording this james I feel for you, my friend. Let's hope brighter days are ahead for you and your sides. In Super Rugby Pacific, Friday, we'll feature the Blues looking to extend their current streak at home against the Waratahs to 16 wins. Yeah, good luck, Taz. Uh, Saturday brings us the Chiefs facing the Reds, Crusaders versus the Andrua. Ooh, just imagine if that was in Fiji. I feel like they could do a real job there. Uh, but alas. Anyway, finally, possibly the best looking matchup on paper the brumbies will be hosting the hurricanes and really big challenge it, it should be a ton of fun of course then in the top 14 we're down to the final four which means we have two monster fixtures friday featuring toulouse at home for a surprising rasting 92 and on saturday equally surprisingly somehow or other my border beagles travel to la rochelle to face Almost certain doom, quite frankly, but I will be rooting for them the whole way. Ooh, well, my friends, that that does it for another week. I gotta say, I'm already getting, uh, I'm already getting like. Pre-sad? Is that a word I can invent? About these competitions coming to a close. If anyone knows, by the way, where the Premier Sevens will be streamed this summer, please, please let me know so I don't just go into complete withdrawal in a couple of weeks. So, as always, thank you again for coming along to all of you across the globe. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well. <laughs>